Good morning. Well, I remember the first time that I heard it. I still remember the very first time. I was waiting to board a plane headed to Baltimore. It was a quick trip for work. But on this day, I received a very coveted status in the travel world. Here are the words that I remember hearing for the first time. I remember where I was, where I was standing, because I was shocked. Here's what they said. Mr. Gilfillan, you've been upgraded to first class. Yes. Yes. Now, some of you are thinking, this guy needs more excitement in his life, right? If you get excited about first class. But, but I remember the very first time. It was a few years ago before uh, I became a pastor and we, we launched this church where I worked for a company where I had to travel quite frequently. And the company, uh, what they did is they entrusted me to go before their customers and talk about our products and fix them. And it was a great job, but it required many hours of travel, most of the times on the weekend, like a Thursday through Saturday. I was traveling for about a year or so every other weekend. I don't remember. And sometimes I was sitting on a plane in comfort and other times I was not in so much comfort. I remember this one time though, I flew from Kalamazoo to Detroit, from Detroit to Des Moines, Iowa. And then I drove something like two or three hours in a car, charger by the way, they gave me a good one. <laughs> where I spent more than three hours, no more than three hours in a hospital. So all this travel to get to one hospital for three hours and then turn around, drive two or three hours back, get on a plane, go to Detroit, go back to Kalamazoo. But man, it was that one time where I heard it. It was like a gift. Mr. Gilfillan, you've been upgraded to first class. The flight was only a few hours long. It actually wasn't going to take me long to get to my destination. But for the first time, my legs had the opportunity to fully extend. My seat had the ability to recline farther than ever before. And I got those really special wrapped first class snacks, you know, like not the pretzels, but the cookies, that type of thing. I was offered unlimited drinks, but because of the situation, I really didn't indulge in the unlimited drinks. The people next to me did. Quite, I knew they did. They didn't say they did. I could tell they did. <laughs> when I was called up to first class, I was able to board the plane first in front of everybody. You get to go ahead of everyone. I'm wearing a t-shirt and jeans, my usual attire, walking next to the suits, you know, next to the people whose suit looks like it costs more than my house. And I walked right in front of all of them because I had been bumped up to first class. 150 passengers staring at me, envious, because I was going before them. For those few hours, I was living a high life. Well, maybe you have reached, you don't have an experience like this. Maybe you've never reached first class status in the airport. When you do, you'll understand what I'm saying. Maybe you remember a time when you reached a certain status in life that you felt like, wow, this is it. I have arrived. And if you remember that time, you remember how extra cool you felt because of that status given to you. But you and I also remember what it was like to lose that status because let me tell you, the next flight that I was on, I was in the far back of the plane where your seat does not recline and your legs have zero room. It happened to be one of the longest flights that I took of my career. And no perfectly wrapped cookies, just a little bag of pretzels. And how long can pretzels last anyway? They're like a dry good, so I think these things were pretty old. One day I was important. The next I was humbled. And I was reminded of my true status of average Joe. You know, we all deal with the roller coaster of status seeking and keeping in this life. 
Now, maybe you're not chasing the first class status with your flight miles or whatever it was, but we all desire to achieve a certain status in this life. And the problem is in the pursuit of trying to become somebody, we actually become a nobody. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to the letter of James. That's where we're going to be at this morning. Turn them on, open them up. We will have the scripture on the screen behind me. Every Sunday, it's our privilege to open this thing called the Bible. It's 66 books, letters of God's communication to us. And so we learn from it every single week. James is towards the end of your Bible. If you've gone to Revelation, you've gone too far, just stop flipping back and you'll reach James. I hope you have your FaithWorks journals as well. Uh, We have these little brown journals that say CityGate Church on them. And we've been using them to journal our journey journal our journey through our faith works series in the letter of James. So I want you to take those journals, document your faith works throughout the summer, document what you're learning here. If you don't have one right now, you can pick them up at the information table for free as you leave here today. So as you get to the letter of James, James is the uh, brother of Jesus. He was one of the first leaders of the early church. And James writes a letter to the early church that is spread all over the place. Uh, All the Christians are all spread out. They may not be in a large group like we are here today. They're spread all over the regions. Uh, And sometime in the early 40s is when this letter was written. Sometime in the early 40s, just 40, not 19, not 1940, not 1840, not 1740, just 40. It's one of the earliest letters that we have in the New Testament. So let's read James 1, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 together. Three verses. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The big idea this morning, the bottom line, what I want you to know is that it doesn't matter how the world sees you. It only matters how God sees you. That's the big idea. It doesn't matter how the world sees you or what status you carry within this life. It only matters the status before God. When our desire to become somebody of a certain status in this life, it, that, that, that drive, that energy sort of takes center stage and we often neglect what, what the most important things are. And that most important thing, that most important uh, status in this life is, is who we are in front of a righteous, holy, good God. The one true God of all creation. That is truly the status that matters. That, that is truly the relationship that matters when everything is stripped away. And maybe you're here today in the topic of God or the Bible or church is somewhat foreign to you. And that's okay. I'm glad you're here. We, we're a church started for people who are living far from God, who know nothing about God, who know nothing about Jesus Christ, except for maybe there's this symbol of a cross and there's Easter and there's Good Friday or there's Christmas. We want to be a church where people can come in with, with no experience required and they can sit and they can learn about who God is. Maybe you're attending CityGate Church for a while and you're still a little fuzzy about how you interact with God. Let me say a few things. A few things as as we preface James. Number one, you are here for a reason. The Bible is clear that God knew you were going to live at this place and at this time before the foundations of the world were even set on their axes. He just knew it. He knows every hair of your head. He knows every sparrow that flies. So you're here for a reason. And the Bible says that we are put in the place and time in which we live for a specific 
purpose. That's interesting, isn't it? You, you had zero control over where you were born. You had zero control over that. You had zero control over when you would be born. You're here for a reason. God has you here even this morning in that chair for a reason. And the second thing I want you to know is God is crazy about you. He's crazy about you. The entire Bible is one, one story about God continuing to save and rescue his people. Although they sinned against him and they ran away and they walked away and they pursued other things in life that didn't really matter, that angered God, God never gave up. He continued to pursue people because he's crazy about you. We are his creation and he is crazy about us. And number three, the church is here for you. We, we are a church where you can journey together, where we can become a community to support one another and care for one another and be friends with one another as we pursue God. Those are the few things you need to know as we enter this message this morning. And now understanding all of those things, I want you to know we all have a purpose and we're all cared for by the one true God who created all of heavens and the earth and all the creation that we see. And that truth has the power to move us. This truth has the power to move us to we care less about our status in this life and we're concerned more with our status in the life to come. So often we get caught up in caring about the wrong things, maybe on a smaller scale, but certainly on a grand scale. Or we, we stress over things, we get anxiety over certain situations, and two years down the road we look back and we go, man, why was I ever worried about that? Well, I want you to think deeply about your life and about your existence, and I want you to know you're here for a reason. God is crazy about you, and this church is here for you. What James says is these, in these four, uh, three short verses, I would love for this to cause us to pause and identify what type of status we are pursuing. Now, let me tell you, I didn't really pursue the first class status. It was gifted to me because how many times I flew on an airplane. And what I didn't tell you is that it just so happened this flight was in the middle of the afternoon. No one was on the plane. So they just said, well, the next person in line better move up. We got to fill the first class seats. That was me. So I never really was awesome in anyone's eyes. I just happened to be the next person in line. What James says in these three short verses should cause us to pause. That's the place, that's what we do here every Sunday morning. We pause, we slow down, we identify what type of status we're pursuing in this life. So let's look at this a little bit. Let's pick it apart. It says, verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the lowly brother you can think about this as let, let the humble person, let the person living in humility and in poor circumstances. We're going to realize in a minute, James talks about the rich and the poor in these verses. But let the lowly brother, let the brother and the sister with no status boast in his exaltation. If you have a lowly status in this world, you can give a joyful response because your spiritual status is awesome. It's great. Because by embracing humility, you are actually lifted up into the heavenly places. That's what this verse is telling us. James is writing to his Christian people and he says, if you are a low class, if you are poor in spirit, if you are poor in the eyes of the world around you, that's okay because you can brag because your life is actually caught up in the heavenly places with God, with Jesus Christ. And then he says, let the rich in his humiliation the idea here is that even those who are rich must remember 
that the only lasting security comes from their relationship with God. James is talking to two different groups of people within the church. Let those who are low, low means of living, poor, let them boast because although they have nothing in this world, they have everything in their relationship with God. They've been given it all. And let those who are rich, who are doing more well off in this life, let them remember, let them remember that although money wants to provide a sense of security, their only security is in that they have a relationship with God. That's it. James focuses on the two major issues we struggle with. Not being rich or being poor necessarily, but becoming humble and living humbly. Both groups, becoming humble and living humbly. This is nothing new to those who would receive this letter. They already knew that to become a child of God, they were to humble themselves before God so that they could do, so he could do a saving, restoring work in their lives. And I want to tell you the first step into approaching God, the God who we sang to, the God who we pray to, the God who we give to, the God who we learn about, that first step is to humble yourselves before him. We must humble ourselves and realize who we are in relation to this good and mighty and holy God. These Christians, they knew that. They knew that following Jesus Christ meant that they were to humble themselves in this life. But the struggle continued with how they were to live their lives. Some of these early Christians lived financially well off. Some have more money than others. That's always been true of any generation or at any time in the world. Some people have money. Some people don't. And they too, even the rich, had to believe that God was enough for them. That no matter how the world viewed them, their relationship with God was enough to see them through all of life. This is, can be, has the potential to be life-changing news for all of us here today. All of us who are seeking something more, something real, something in this life worth living for. And the Bible calls that a relationship with God. That is worth living for. See, everything in this world will fade away, won't it? Things rust and break down. Money gets spent, and sometimes you don't make that money back. Remember the boat situation last week? I didn't get a lot of that money back. The things in this world will fade away. Our lives will slowly fade away. The life-changing news this morning from James has, a, has the opportunity for you to point you in the direction to seek something worth living. If you desire to know who God is, then you must humble yourself before him. We cannot say that enough. We cannot approach God and, and acting as though we are the gods of our own lives and we're making some sort of mutual agreement so we can be in a relationship. That's not how we approach God. When Jesus was on the earth, he said that when you approach God, you approach him poor in spirit, realizing that you have nothing, you can give nothing, you can earn nothing for God to love you. That's the approach we take. If you desire to build a relationship with God, you must then continually live in a humble status before him. That humble status never changes. And God will do things in our life to remind us that we ought to be humble. Am I right? Everybody said, you're right. Yeah, see, the Bible's right. I just am saying what the Bible says. Now, James is describing a certain type of status, though. He's, he's talking to two groups of people. One group is poor. One group is rich. And what he's trying to do is, is help this early Christian community look at one another and make sure they both understand what is truly most important in their life. He says, it doesn't matter whether you are rich or you are poor. The only lasting security in this life is your status before God. Those who are poorer with money, 
often find themselves caught up in trying to get more money. And they forget that God is enough. Those who are rich in money find themselves caught up in trying to get more money. And they are to know that the only status in life is your status before God. Because, that's what James says next, because... Don't focus on the money all the time. Don't focus on your status. Now people will see you and approach you and talk to you and treat you because like a flower of the grass, we will all pass away. And if you're like a flower in my house, that will pass away very quickly. (laughs) I don't know if it's called the green thumb or like the black thumb. We do not keep things alive very long in our house. I was looking at a plant we've had on our windowsill for, I don't know, maybe 24 months. And, uh, I realized, yeah, that thing passed away a long time ago, and yet we think it's going to come back to life. It's not. It's dead. It's been dead for a long time. It's because I didn't water it, though, just so you were wondering. It was my, it was my job. At the time, the original readers, they would receive this letter, and they were rich Christians. They were poor Christians. And also at this time, in another book of the Bible, we know that there was a famine that happened. There was little food available in the 40s. It was scarce. So naturally, when you have those living in poor side of life, they're not able to buy food. And even if you do have money, it's going to cost you a whole bunch of money to buy what little food is available. Times haven't changed. There are people with more money. There are people with less money. But the message is still the same. Regardless of where you stand in those two statuses in this life today, you need to understand that the only status you need to be concerned about is your status before God. That's what James says. If you are rich, people have a certain way of reacting to you. If you are poor, people have a certain way of reacting to you. So James says, don't treat each other like the world treats one another. Treat each other as God is your common status. Also, James is very wise to remind them and us, it doesn't matter how the world sees you. It only matters how God sees you. That's the reminder he's giving them. A little clarity on this. James says in verse nine, let the humble person be joyful in his status before God because he or she is secure and safe in the heavenly places. That's exactly what verse nine means. Let the humble person with little means in this world, let the person who's living humbly, who's living in poor circumstances, Be joyful. Now that's a challenge for us, isn't it? It's hard to be joyful when you live in poor circumstances. It says be joyful because in your status before God, you are safe and secure and you are caught up in the heavenly places and God knows you and he loves you and you're his child. Oh, how we forget what's most important in this life. Actually, we forget that this life is like a flower and it will fade away. James is here to remind us You are caught up in the heavenly places. You are safe. You are secure. There is nothing in this world that can throw you off. I think James articulates what we all struggle with day to day. It's easy to get caught up in our status in this physical world that we completely neglect the spiritual world. We all focus on the physical, the here, the now, what we feel, what we experience, what we need, what we don't need. And we often neglect what our soul is longing for what our heart, where our emotions are kept. We, we often neglect the journey that we're on in that regard. He even adds us a picture, right? So, so James knows that he's talking to people like me because I don't understand verse nine, so he needs to give me like a picture that he can draw it, right? This is like ancient picture books, okay? So he says, 
He even adds a picture. Because like a flower, you, I, we will all pass away. No matter your worldly status, whether you are rich or you are poor, both of these groups will pass away. No one is excluded. Have I said that enough? No one is excluded. Yep. I don't know if that was God, but that was creepy. I have clearly said that enough. We're just going to move on to verse 11. No one is excluded. Now, verse 11 gives us another picture, just in case we missed the first time, that just like a flower on your mantle, don't lie to me, dies every three days like ours, our lives will also pass away. Verse 11. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Let me stop and say this. I understand that not everybody in this room is following Jesus. I understand that maybe not everybody in this room is a Christian. I understand that everybody in this room may think God is loving or kind or patient. But let me say what James writes comes from the Spirit of God. So when you look at your Bible, it's not, well, James, uh, a brother, a Christian a long time ago had something to say. The Holy Spirit moved through James. James wrote these things down. We consider this the perfect Word of God. This is God's communication to us in this Bible. The words we are reading are the very words of God, and it's just a simple observation that God is so patient with us, he tells us the same thing three times in three verses. It doesn't matter how the world sees you. It only matters how I see you. He doesn't stop there. He provides three more examples of what this means. He is patient. He is loving. He is kind. You need to know that. There's no one like our God. He says, listen up. I have created you. I have sustained you. I am here for you. Uh, I am waiting for you. I have sent Jesus for you. And I've made a way for you because I love you. Because I'm the only God worth following. And I'm the only God who would do this for you. The impact of this truth has eternal impact on your life. Not just for today, not just for this hour, but for all eternity. Let's say we were to start living in a way where our status before each other on this world didn't matter and that we only reflected and we only rested and had peace in our status before God. What if we approached every single day realizing that the most important thing in our life was that we are caught up in the heavenly places with God. We are his child. We are filled with his spirit. What if that, what if that were to happen with us consistently every day? Here are a few things. What if husbands and wives approached each new day knowing their status before God was more important than their status between one another. The number of arguments about things that truly don't matter would decrease, hopefully. They'd even argue differently. You would argue differently. The way they discipline, instruct, and love their children would change for the better. They would no longer be embarrassed by one another or embarrassed by where they live or embarrassed by how much they make. It's my conviction that we would witness the marriage relationship flourish because the trials of life would have no power against the united front of a husband and a wife and their status before God. What about those who are single? 
What if they were encouraged to find their significance in their relationship and status before God? What if that's where we push single people towards? No longer will men and women live in despair because of their lack of intimate relationships. No longer will those who are single seek out harmful relationships because they feel judged by a world because they are living single. No longer will single people live in despair because they lack an intimate relationship within this world for they know the presence of God will see them through. The God that will give them peace and patience. What if teenagers are young people? We hear too many stories about despair leading to the end of life, no matter the age. What if teenagers were no longer living to impress those around them because they were achieving some sort of status but by engaging in harmful activities that ends up destroying their lives? What if they knew they didn't have to worry about missing out? What if they knew they no longer had to compare themselves to those around them? Young people, they don't need to impress anyone because their status before God is secure. A status before an all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect God has elevated that young person into the heavenly places. And the presence of this world will be no match for the peace that God gives them. He will guide them. He will be their closest friend. He will never leave them. What if we cared more about our status before God than our status before one another? What if the children in our family, the really young ones, were raised in a home where their status before mom and God, whoops, before God was elevated before their status before mom and dad? What if we raised our children to care more about their status before God than their status before us? We would see young children grow up with more power against temptation to disobey mom and dad. Children would no longer be crushed under the expectations that we place on them. They would live in God's grace, knowing that no matter how many times they mess up, the love of God will never leave them. That's how they would live. I mean, when you read these things from James, you got to love the Bible. You got to just love God's way of communicating to us. It says the Bible is a, a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And I'm not sure anything really sticks at us harder than challenging us to live in a way where we care more about how we are viewed before God than one another. Now, with that said, let's piece this together with some more descriptive language, okay? So here's what James is telling those early Christians. Here's what James is telling us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is for you. Let the person of humble circumstances give a joyful response in his spiritual status before God. Because by becoming humble before God, he or she is actually lifted up into the heavenly places with God. And let the person who has money give a joyful response in his humble status. Listen here. The same status that Jesus took. Although he was equal with God, the God of unlimited resources, he gave himself up to be arrested and murdered as a crime and criminal. What if we were to follow Jesus in that pattern? What if we were the ones in this room that had, that, that had uh, enough money that we didn't even think about anything? Well, would we follow Jesus and follow him into the pursuit that he gave his life where he said, I, I have unlimited resources. I am God. Yet I'm not going to wield that around and prove that as a status with everybody bowing down to, what I am actually going to do is empty myself of everything that I've ever had because I'm going to die for you. 
This is the what part of the day. This is what God is telling us. This is what God is telling you. And he's telling me, no matter if you are rich or if you are poor, don't get caught up in the way the world categorizes us. And, and don't get caught up in the way the world categorizes people within these different statuses because it makes no difference to God. Quite frankly, it's a waste of time to God. Why? Because this life will fade away. And we will end up realizing we pursued something that didn't matter. God says the only thing which will last forever is your status before me, before him. That's what truly matters. It's a good word. Verse 11, just as the flower withers in the midst of the scorching hot wind. That's, that, that's the translation there. It's, it's the sun, it's the hot wind. So does all of those who find their significance in the worldly status. Just as the flower withers, and the scorching hot wind, so does the businessman or woman wither away in their pursuit of this worldly status that they covet so much. This is really in the power, where the power is in these verses. This is the powerful reminder. And James uses a well-known example to the original audience. This is the, the picture of the flower and the grass in Israel where they all flourish in February and by May they are gone, withered away. Hot, dry wind came and killed everything. We are the flower. You are the flower. You could say, man, if I, have I been caught up in the wrong things? Have I missed out on a relationship with God? Am I treating people wrongly because I care so much about the, how the world sees me? I have neglected everything. A different part of the Bible says this, my days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Such a good reminder every week that this life will soon pass away. And the message of the Bible is prepare for that moment by meeting Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Prepare for the moment where your life withers away by meeting and maturing in Jesus. So then this leads us to a question. Let's ask ourselves: am I more concerned with the status of this world than my status before God? That's the question we ask right now. That's a reflection question for us. Am I more concerned about what people think about me here on this world, whether I am rich or I am poor? That, that's the example given. We can certainly broaden that out a little bit, okay? James is to, talking to rich Christians and poor Christians, but we can, we can extend that and say, do I care more about the status in this life? Do I care more about what people see me and where I work and who I am and where I live and what I have and what I don't have? Do I care about that more than how God sees me? Here's some questions for you to think this through. You are more concerned with your status within this world than your status before God if the lack of money is cause for embarrassment. If the lack of money embarrasses you to let anybody know how much money you have or don't have, if that's an embarrassment, then you've put too much stock in how the world sees you. It's a reflection question. Second one. You are more concerned with your status within this world than your status before God if, the other side of the coin, you judge others because of their lack of money. Same thing both ways. Either money is embarrassment for you because you care so much about what people think about you or you have more money than others and you look down on them because they don't have as much as you. Number three, you are more concerned with your status within this world than your status before God if you are willing to violate your conscience to gain the approval of others. That's a tough one too. This is what we see young people wrestle with most often in their lives. 
I will violate, I will go against what I've been taught, what I know to be right, what I know to be true, because if I don't, then all of them over there are going to look into my life and they're going to think I'm weird. They're not going to like the status that I have. I want their status. They're all over there doing cool stuff. It's not cool. It's It's a trick. It's not cool. But they care so much about their status. As adults, we get caught up in this too. I will make a certain decision in my life because everybody's looking into my life and I want to make sure they know I'm somebody. Because in becoming somebody, we end up being nobody. It's never easy to ask these hard questions. But it's in these moments when we face reality that God shows us who he is. There's another story in the Bible. It's called the story of the rich young ruler. I'm going to read it to you. It's called the rich young ruler and it it gives us a really good picture of what this could be like. Mark 10, I don't think it's up there. I'm just going to read it to you. And he was setting out on his journey. This is Jesus. And a man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He named some of the Ten Commandments. And then this rich young ruler said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. I'm good. I'm following your laws. I'm following the commandments that you prescribe to us. I have kept all these from my youth. And Jesus looking at him. I love this part. He loved him first. (laughs) He loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Now, what would be that one thing? You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. That's what Jesus says. Right, you're following some of the commandments, but when it comes to the commandment that you are not supposed to worship your money, that you're not supposed to put anything in my place, that there's nothing in your life that you're supposed to elevate to the status of God, you have done that with everything that you've owned. You worship the money you have. You worship your possessions. You are worshiping the status you have before men. That's what you're worshiping. It makes you feel good that people look at you and go, that rich young ruler's got it figured out. Look at all the possessions he has. Look at all the money that guy has. Amazing. He must be really, really good. Jesus says, that's what you lack. You know how he responded? This is his response disheartened, saddened, depressed a little, disheartened by the saying, disheartened by what Jesus told him. He went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. That's the last thing we hear from the rich young ruler. The man looked God straight in the face, the God who created him, the God who knew he would be at that exact moment. And the God who knew he would ask that exact question and God stared him in the face and says, if you remove the man-made God that you have in your life today, you will have room for the one true God in your heart. And the guy walked away. The rich young ruler was face to face with the savior of the world. And see, we can judge him and think that he was like, what are you doing? But so often, usually Monday through Thursday, this is us. We have a relationship with God, yet we care more about our status in this world than we care our status before him. 
So we can't look at him and go, man, what were you thinking? But I want you to know this is us because money and possessions and status and how people view us and how people treat us has so much weight in our lives. We care for it. We pursue it. We perfect it. The reality is this rich young ruler didn't love God and keep the commandments like he thought he did. He has not humbled himself before God. He cared more about his status in his life than his status before God. And this should break our heart. And now we realize that if you're the rich young ruler and that I'm the rich young ruler, I want your heart to soften and break. I want you to realize for the first time, yeah, actually the entirety of my life has been completely fine, but I worship money. I care about what people think about me. I care about the the job that I have because if I don't have that right kind of job, people will look at me and say, well, that's a nobody. I can't believe they're doing that job. The Bible never prescribes what kind of job to have. The Bible says, no matter what you do, do it for God. That's what it says. I tell my kids almost every day. Because you know they're at about that age where they're going to fly to Mars, right? They're going to be an astronaut. Or they're going to be the smartest wizard that has ever happened. Like they're going to just create something absolutely new. Which I'm not trying to get down on my kids, but they have my brain. So there's a, there's a limit on what this world is going to allow them to do. But they're in that phase where they're dreaming, aren't they? I want to be this when I grow up. And it's so fun. It really is. I want to be this when I grow up. I think my daughter wants to be like an animal, but she also wants to be a princess. I'm not sure, I'm not sure which way we're going to go. You know what I tell them every time we have this conversation? That is so great. How can I help you get there? And also, just remember, if you dug holes in the ground for money, you'd be good enough for God. I don't care what you do to earn money, to support your family. I don't care what kind of work that is. You work hard for God, and that is good enough for him. You cannot impress God with your job. You cannot impress God with your bank account, kids. It's okay, because what is most important is that you have said, the God of my salvation is the God that I'm going to pursue, and my status before him matters more than anything else in the world. The the rich young ruler should break our heart because he cared more about his status among men than the status before God. So if you desire to move, let's say, let's, say, let's say the Bible's gotten you from like here to here. You're like, man, I'm the rich young ruler. Uh, I'm the one who cares more about my status on this world than my status before God. That's me. That is me, John. What does the Bible have for me? This is where we move into some application. If you desire to move from pursuing your status in this world to living in complete assurance within your status before God, here are some things that you can do. Number one, Stop comparing your lives to others. No more comparing. We're done with that. And it's so easy to do, isn't it? Because everybody's telling everybody about everything that's going on. No more comparing. Many of the tools that the world has given us and technology have given us are awesome. I love them. But they were never meant to cause us to compare our lives to one another and live in despair because we're not that person. They were meant to share. They were meant to lift up and build up, I'm I'm pretty sure. But what we often do is we look at it and we compare our lives. You have the permission to stop comparing yourselves to others. I give you that permission today. If you are caught up in keeping up with the world around you, you will live in despair. So God tells you to seek him and he will be all that you have ever needed. Number two, give up your possessions. <laughs> Pretty simple and straightforward, right? Seriously, less is more. Less is more. Now, we, we've been married for 13 years. 
Good. I got it wrong the other day, which I had to check my math. I thought it was 12 because it's just going by so quick. I don't want it to go by so quick. So we married for 13 years. We have five kids. Can I tell you that it's really, really strange how much stuff we accumulate as a family? It just happens. I don't even know where all the stuff comes from. I'm trying to rent 20-yard dumpsters to throw three-quarters of my house away because I don't even know what this stuff is for. And year after year goes by, and guess what I didn't touch? That stuff over there. It's easy to work towards possessions in this life. It's easy to think that the thing that you're thinking about right now that you need to go and buy is actually going to provide some happiness. In four months, it's not going to anymore. Spoiler alert, okay? Now, money is not necessarily evil. Buying stuff is not wrong. Making a bunch of money is not sinful. But I will tell you, if that is your God, if you feel more secure because you have a large bank account than more secure than your relationship with God, you got it upside down. So get rid of some of your possessions. Give them to the poor, donate them, write a check to the church. We have avenues for you to do that, by the way. And honestly, that's a beauty how God had set that up. You see, we give towards God so that greed would not overcome us because greed is easily our God. It is. See, when you need money, you go and get it. You only need more. It's the monster that is never hungry. It only needs more. Give your possessions. Less clutter in your life. Release those things. You have a lot more fun. Number three, seek God. Get into the regular rhythm of prayer and Bible reading. Get to know the God that saved you. That's really important. See, we don't want, at this church, we don't want you to meet a God and be saved by a God that you never actually know. Right? Just like you don't want to marry or date someone that you actually truly never even know ever. It's just some person. But so often we, we follow Jesus in that way. We say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you for allowing me eternal life. But we just don't know who he is. We don't know what he has said and the things that he has done. And we don't know what he's asking us to do in this life. So get to know God by seeking a regular rhythm of prayer and Bible reading. Read the, book, read the letter of James. If you sat down this afternoon and read the whole letter, it take you 15 minutes. That's what it takes. And then read it again and over and over. And then pray to God and ask him to enlighten your heart and your mind when you read the Bible so you understand what God is telling you. Number four. I have a few more, but I think these next ones are more like, I don't know who God is. I'm not sure what I'm doing. I don't consider myself a Christian. What's in it for me? Okay, let's say that's where you are. Let's say I was just dragged here by a friend and this is getting too heavy for me, so I want out. Just give me a few seconds because I want to address you. Number one, take a deep breath, okay? That's always the first step in everything. And it's not because I'm a father of five because I always tell them, just stop and breathe because I can't hear you when you talk like that. Just stop and breathe, take a deep breath because we are a church who cares for you. This church was started for you. You are among people who will not judge you because you are welcome here and everyone is welcome and no one is perfect. That's who we are. Number two, pray. Just as though we, same way we prayed in the service earlier, God will hear your prayer when you cry out to him. And I'm asking you to ask him for your forgiveness because you have pursued the wrong status in life and it means nothing. Here's the deal. Finding your significance in anything but God doesn't just dishearten God or break his heart, it angers him. It makes him furious. In fact, it's on that account that God will come to judge everyone. Everyone faces God's judgment. 
And if you've made something else your God in this life and it's not him, you will be judged under that. And so seek him, ask for his forgiveness. The Bible says that when you seek his forgiveness, he will forgive you. And the last one is receive him by faith. God has made it possible for people like you and me to claim our spiritual status before him. He's made it possible to have a healthy relationship with God. And the best part is he doesn't make you earn it. He doesn't ask you to get all cleaned up first before you approach him. He asks you that you believe in him and have faith in who he is and what he has done. He wants you to believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he asks you to have faith in the one that he sent to die on your behalf. That's Jesus Christ. So in closing, it was Jesus who paid our debt of sin to God. That although he had all the riches the world could offer, he, he was obedient to God all the way to the cross. He emptied everything he had so that you could have everything he was. So that you could live before God. And that perfect spiritual status hidden up in the heavenly places. So today is the day you are welcomed into a new family. And today is the day that I hope some of you would realize that this world, anything this world has to offer does not compare to relationship with God. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And we love to unpack it and learn from it. We thank you for faithful people like James who were leaders in the church that wrote, Moved by your spirit to instruct the church, to instruct your people. It's good to be in your house where we can sing to you and pray to you and learn from you because every week we need that. Every day we need that. We not only need your word to learn from, we need one another to help with this. We need a community of people that can support us and that can receive us and care for us when we have missed the mark. We need a community of people who will hold us accountable to the things that we believe and God, I thank you for the church. And we thank you for this church specifically. Although small, we are mighty because your spirit is within us. We ask that this message of restored hope and peace would go forth from this church to our friends and our family and our co-workers and anybody that we would interact with. 